Good morning, my name is Tiffany Taliaferro. I'll be reading from 2 Samuel chapters 2 and 3, passages from both of those chapters. Please feel free to follow along. After this, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there with his two wives also, Ahanam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Cabal of Carmel. And David brought up to his men who were with him, everyone with his household. And they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came and they were anointed and they anointed the king Excuse me, and they anointed David the king over the house of Judah. And when they told J- David, it was the men of Jabesh Gilead who buried Saul, David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord, because you showed the loyalty to Saul your Lord and buried him. And now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. And I will do good to you because you have done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strong, be valiant, for Saul your Lord is dead and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. But Abner, son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ish-bosheth, the son of Saul, brought him to Mahanaim, And he made him king over Gilead and the Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all Israel. Ishbosheth, son of Saul, was forty years when he became when he began to rule over Israel, and he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zariah, and the servants of David went out and met them at the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, and one of them on one one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, let the young men arise and compete before us. And Joab said, let them arise. And they rose and passed over by twelve, twelve for Benjamin and Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and twelve of the servants of David. And each caught his opponent by the head and thrust his sword into his opponent's side. So they fell down together. Therefore, that place was called Helkath. Hazaram, which is at Gibeon. And the, battle, and the battle was very fierce that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. And Abner said to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Why would I strike you to the ground? How then can I lift up my face to your brother Joab? But he refused to turn aside. Therefore Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear, so that the spear came out at his back. And he fell there and died where he was. And all who came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died stood still. There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. While there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Now Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Ai. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone to my father's concubine? Then Abner was angry over the words of Ishbosheth and said, "Am I dog's head? Am I a dog's head of Judah? 
to this day, I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not given you into the hand of David, and yet you charge me today with a fault concerning a woman. God do so to Abner, and more so also if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah, from Dan to Beersheba. And Ishbosheth could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, saying, To whom does this land belong? Make your covenant with me, and behold, my hand shall be with you to bring all over all Israel to you. And he said, Good, I will make a covenant with you, but one thing I will require of you, that that is, you shall not see my face until you first bring Michal, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. And Abner conferred with the elders of Israel, saying, For the time past you have been seeking David as your as king over you. Now then bring it about, for the Lord has promised David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all of their enemies. Abner also spoke to Benjamin, and then Abner went to tell David to, at Hebron all that Israel and the whole house of Benjamin thought good to do. When Abner came with 20 men to David at Hebron, David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And Abner said to David, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel to my lord the king and they and that they make a covenant with you and that you may reign over all the all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away and he went in peace. When Joab and all the army that was with him came, it was told to Joab, Abner the son of Ner came to the king and he has let him go and he has gone in peace. Then Joab went to the king and said, what have you done? Behold, Abner came to you. Why is it that you sent him away so that he's gone? You know that Abner the son of Ner came to deceive you and know you're you're going and you're going out and you're coming in, and to know all that you are doing. When Joab came out of the pres out of the out from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the cistern of Sarah. But David did not know about it. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gate to speak to him privately. And there he struck him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. Afterward, when David heard of it, he said, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, son of Ner. May it fall upon the head of Joab and upon all of his father's house. And may the house of Joab never be without one who has a discharge or who is leprous or holds a spindle or falls by the sword or who lacks bread. Then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and mourn for Abner. And King David followed the bier. They buried Abner at Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. And the king lamented for Abner, saying, Should Abner die as fools die? Excuse me, as fool as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, your feet were not fettered. As one falls before the wicked, you have fallen. And all the people wept again over him. And then all the people came to persuade David to eat bread while it was yet day. But David swore, saying, God, do so to me, and more also if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. 
And all the people took notice of it and pleased them. As everything the king did pleased all the people. So all the people and all of Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put Abner, the son of Ner, to death. And the king said to his servants, do you not know the price, excuse me, do you not know that a prince and a great man falls, has fallen in Israel? And I was gentle today, though anointed king, these men, the son of Zariah, are, sev- are more severe than I. The Lord repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, uh, Tiffany. Um, that was a lot of scripture. Um, and one thing um, that uh, if, if you've been following us or you've been in this church for a while that's unique um, about Christ Central is that when we do narratives, we try to read it um, as much as possible. Um, one reason um, I think we need to read it is people talk about the Bible a lot. They criticize the Bible a lot. They like to think what, that God says this and God does this when we really don't read the Bible much. We really don't know it. Some of us have never gone to the old school Sunday school or done Bible studies, so I think it's appropriate um, to read the Word. And the other reason I want you to read the Word, I only gave you parts of it, chapters 2 and chapters 3. I encourage you to go back and read it in fullness. The reason is because so many messages out there, so much preaching out there, so much information out there is not consistent with what you really see in the Word. Right. So I could get up here and I could just start talking and you guys would just have to believe. Right. That what I'm saying is what you actually read and saw in the scriptures. I don't want to do that to you. I want you to see the word. I want you to hear the stories. I want you um, to be knowledgeable about what's going on. Um, And when I write a sermon or prepare a sermon or talk for you guys, I read the passage multiple times. And then I go back and read a chapter before or two or three chapters ahead. So I want to kind of give you some of that flavor. Um, But I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And we continue in our sermon series in Samuel and are now completely into the second book of Samuel, which details more than anything the rise and reign of David as king. But as with any transfer and change of national leadership, there is plenty of drama. In the wake of the death of the former King Saul and the rise of David into kingly recognition, as the reading lets us know, a civil war ensues in Israel. And I must let you know that the last thing I want to preach about once again is something to do with politics, right? Something to do with power and differences of opinions and social ills and social justice. Um, it's exhausting. And which one and, and what is more biblical than the other? It's exhausting. But God must have known we would be in the throes of a social and political struggle in our country right now and that we would need these messages from Samuel. And this apropos passage has three lessons I want us to focus on this morning. First, that politics, government stuff, can be a channel of God's kingdom. A channel of God's kingdom. Secondly, politics can be a challenge or in conflict with God's kingdom. A challenge to and in conflict with God's kingdom. And finally, politics will be a casualty of God's kingdom or crushed by God's kingdom. I did my best to consolidate two chapters in the scripture reading today, but I think a summary of sort would be helpful to kind of put the pieces together. Saul is dead and David, following God's call on his life, goes up to his hometown folk and is made king over 
Judah, which meant that he was a candidate from Judah and of Judah to one day be king over all the other tribes and all the other parts of the kingdom. But what often happened throughout Israeli history and in tribes is this, um, is this kind of tribes' rights versus federal rights, right? Like we have our own states' rights struggles. And so the military chief of staff of Saul's former administration, who is also Saul's cousin, decides that his second cousin, Saul's son, Ishbosheth, um, one of Saul's surviving sons, should be king of the rest of Israel, right? David over Judah, Ishbosheth over everybody else. David, you know, he, he might be thinking that David might have the largest electoral college count in Judah, but Ishbosheth is sitting on the popular vote. And an inner struggle ensues between Abner, who is running Ishbosheth's campaign for king, and on the other side with Joab, who is a campaign manager for David and military chief of staff for David. And this goes on for two years plus. Imagine, y'all, if our own November election result was disputed for two years. We'd tear each other apart, wouldn't we? Could you imagine President Trump in the White House not leaving and Biden set up in Philadelphia or something like that? And we're all waiting for the campaigns and the partisan Senate and media to figure it out. It's funny that David and Ishbosheth are pretty quiet through this whole thing. But before we make or contextualize, because I know we're doing it in our minds, right? King David, God's divine choice as a Democrat or Republican, President Trump or Biden in our minds in this story. Let's distinguish and pull David out as representing, right, an example, an exhibit of God's kingdom, and then everybody else is the warring opposed parties and interest groups as being the others, as the wannabes, get it? There is God's kingdom and king, and then there are our politics and politicians. And I know it's hard for some of us to imagine that there is a third candidate in every election that is fairly quiet and is the most powerful of the three, four, or five others. And we look at David. As an example, right? More of a display of what politics should be. We can see that politics, human attempts at policy, government, national prosperity and heritage, that it can be. And the Bible teaches us is, and I said A, right? It, 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 that it's A, not the, right? We act like our political parties are the, but the Bible is saying it can be a channel of God's kingdom to bring his administration of mercy and justice for humankind and human flourishing. Now, I'm not going to exhaust this point, but in the beginning verses of chapter 2, Jabesh uh, Gilead, the men of Jabesh Gilead, took the bodies of the former king Saul and, his, and, and, and Saul's son Jonathan uh, down from the wall, risking their lives, going into Philistine territory to give them a proper and honorable burial. Now, let me tell you what that means. That could have been taken as if, um, the, 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 you know, by the partisan media, if they had it back then, it would have definitely been shaped as an affront to David and signaling their loyalty to Saul. Because Saul had rescued them from their enemies when no one else would, if you remember back in 1 Samuel. But David uses and defines his new position, hear me, he doesn't listen to the media, right, as an earthly king, to be a channel of God's kingdom ministry, which is, he explains it, mercy and justice to fallen human beings. So whether they were trying to signal support for Saul or not, God was not offended. He wanted to take the opportunity and use David's position to show love and mercy and reconciliation and goodness and honor to the people of Jabesh Gilead, who were right across the river from where David was stationed. The language used here may not be entirely clear in your English translation, but if we look at verses 5 and 6 in chapter 2, the word for loyalty in verse 5 that Jabesh Gilead shows to Saul's body, right, and to Saul is hesed. 
loving kindness. They showed mercy and love to Saul and his family. And the same language is repeated in verse 6. When David says, the Lord now give you loving kindness, right? He is saying, may the Lord give you hesed back. Through, me, through who? He tells us. David says, let it happen. Let, let, I want you to see God's loving kindness through me. That's why he says, I'm going to do good by you, by using the word good. David is saying that my job, hear me closely here, that my job as God's king, as God's earthly representative, as God's administration on the earth, is to judge you and your work in this case as good. Why? To bring justice to a tumultuous situation and actually bring peace between us, not to keep fighting, not to make a bit, not to say, oh, y'all took down Saul's body? Y'all don't like me. I'm going to get back at you. No, his job as a politician, if you will, so, is so that we can work together to bring more good, mercy, justice, and hesed to each other in the world through my servant leadership. He is saying God is going to channel the loving kindness, good, love, peace, justice through you and me as we are reconciled and do the same thing to others. And I am in a position to make sure there's policy in place for that to happen. God has and does use policy and politics and authorities. When I say authorities, from moms and dads and uncles and neighbors to teachers and bosses and administrators to police officers and military to governmental elected officials to channel what? His hesed, his loving kindness, right? When he sees us uh, be mean and, and wrong each other, part of hesed, part of loving kindness is his, his good, his justice, his law of love, his offer of peace and order to the world, not only a call to love one another and be held accountable to the good and life of one another, but to find ways to love the Lord and be loved and touched by the Lord, by the Creator's goodness and glory. In that way, politics is a channel for human flourishing and glory and good. But more often than not, as we know, when it comes to politics, people get so passionate about what they think human flourishing looks like that they seek good and self-good according to their own power and passions, which becomes fear, underhanded scheming. Playing the system, control, mudslinging, as if their passion for what is right and good and true is greater than the Lord's hesed. Which can cause politics, human politics, to become a challenge and in conflict with God's kingdom instead of a channel of his goodness. Now, I want you to look at the contrast here, right? Look, look, look at verse 7 with me in chapter 2. It says here, now therefore, this is David talking to Jabez Gilead, right? Saying, okay, I realize that your actions may point to you being a supporter of Saul, but my job is to bring reconciliation, peace, so that we can work together, Right? to bring justice to this situation. Now, therefore, he says, let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul, your Lord, is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So we see David does put it right. Yeah, I know you're showing loyalty to Saul. Praise God for that. I'm going to love you. I'm going to care for you. I'm still going to be your king, but I am your king, right? But listen to the second verse. But, I love it when they put that in Scripture, right? So there's a contrast. But... Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. And he made him king over Gilead and Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin. 
and all Israel. Okay. In and through King David, it is clear God had already put in place what his kingdom goals and ends would be. Right? Hesed, right? But Abner, Saul's cousin, put his king. You hear what I'm saying? David was, was showing what God wanted. But Abner came and put his king and policy in place. And he probably had some pretty good reasons. We've all heard it before. It's tradition. This was the way things happen. The son of the king takes over. This David thing is irregular. It's going to destabilize the economy and lead to violence and hurt law and order. And he believes Ishbosheth will bring more social justice reform and stand for special interest tribes. That though David has the electoral college vote, he doesn't have the popular vote. This is the people's champion and on and on and on. But it is revealed that Abner is about doing it Abner's way. But this is a two-sided affair, right? Because on the other side of the political aisle is David's version of Abner, Joab, who too believes he knows what it takes to win for God. He knows what it is to be the party of godly values of God's choice, and he turns to politics as well, and it creates a huge clash in the kingdom over ideals, values, and Live suffer. So Joab and Abner are like, let's have a debate, ancient Asiatic style, right? We'll get some young bucks to fight it out in the octagon. Right? But the fight spills over into the street. And Abner stabs Joab's brother, Aziel, like, 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 like Star Wars. Abner warns him, like Anakin, right, that he has the high ground. Slow down, young buck. Don't follow me. You're going to die. I'm stronger than you. But Aziel, he can't stop. He's too passionate. So, and, and Abner holds out the butt of his spear. And you can imagine, the Bible says Aziel was sleep. I mean, um, really fast, uh, uh, and, and was running after Abner, and, and, and he wouldn't stop. And Abner kind of yells back, slow down, young buck. Don't follow me. You're going to die, and Joab's going to be mad at me. And he keeps running, and it's almost like his speed was, he was running so fast, Abner just stops and takes the butt of his spear and stabs him through the stomach, and it comes out his back, right? And the battle becomes more than about God's kingdom. But now these two groups are going to be fighting about the death of Joab's brother and who can beat who and insecurities and on and on, much like our own politics. But if there is one thing that David personally stood for at this time, it was not having the dignity, worth, and life of taken away from any Israelite, even those who would appear to be his enemies. And this deadly politicking, between Joab and Abner was killing and demeaning Israelites who had common enemies outside of them, like the Philistines, remember them? And inside of them that needed to be addressed, and they were killing each other, Israelite on Israelite crime. Now, I, I didn't have this in here. I don't want to contextualize it so far in this direction. But people of God, in our churches, Israelite on Israelite crime, is a lot like Christian-on-Christian Christian crime in this election right now. And we both feel like we're fighting for God, right? We, we both feel like, but, but when we begin to turn in certain ways, when we're hurting each other and lifting up one candidate as is, is being more God's channel than the other candidate, and, and we start to fight over that, instead of praying that God's hesed would come, that's when we start killing each other. Hear this. This was anything but Hesed. This was becoming and had become anything but the love of God for each other and, and, and bringing dignity and hope to each other and bringing God's mercy and forgiveness and peace through policy and leadership to the world. This is about personal morality now. What you think's right. The Bible says that a long war between the two houses ensues for control of the kingdom. And let me make it clear. Please, let me make this clear. God could have channeled his kingdom and chosen to through Ishbosheth and the house of Saul. Right? Because let me tell you what mistake we make when we read through Samuel, a book like this. We want to make who's the good guys and who's the bad guys, right? In this 
Samuel teaches us, God alone is good, <laughs> right? And he's so good and powerful, he can use whoever he wants in the time he wants, and then he can reject them when he wants based on why he wants. So I want you to know that God could have used Ishbosheth and the house of Saul, but he chose, he chose to use David. Let me make it clear, not because David was better or David did all the right things. It, if you don't believe me, just continue reading 2 Samuel, right? It wasn't David was so good in and of himself, but he was God's sovereign choice, decided by God for God's own sometimes incomprehensible reasons. So this is not about the better candidate. The man was a shepherd, and now he's going to be a king? Really? So this is not about the better candidate, but how our politics between two potential candidates turns into a mess. The Bible tells us that David's campaign is game, kingdom sorry, is gaining in numbers and Saul's camp is losing. And that Abner and his candidate, Ishbosheth get into a fight over a woman. And let me emphasize, a woman who was mistreated and objectified by them. And that Abner flips to David and makes a covenant with David. As a result, right? I mean, I mean, look at this in verse 8 with me in chapter 2. I mean, in chapter 3, sorry, jumping to chapter 3 now. It says this Then Abner was angry over the words of Ishbosheth, because Ishbosheth says, Why are you sleeping with my dad's concubine, right? I, I think you've been messing around with her. I don't like that, right? And it was an affront to Saul and to him. Why have you gone into my father's concubine? Then Abner was angry and over, over the words of Ishbosheth and said, am I, dogs, am I a dog's head of Judah? To this day, I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not given you to the hand of David. And yet you charge me today with a fault concerning a woman? God, do so to Abner and more also, if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. That means the whole kingdom. And Ishbosheth could not answer Abner another word. Why? Because he feared him. What is crazy is that Abner knew all along that God had promised the kingdom to David. And flips to David. Why? Why did he flip? What's the text say? Forget what Abner says. What's the text say? Out of apparent anger and broken trust with Ish-bosheth. He can't get what he wants with Ish-bosheth. Abner, like a good politician, he acts like he switched to be with the godly party. Here's the party line. David's with God and, and God anointed David. So I'm switching over there when he is truly seeking political power and position. So he uses David and his relationship with the Lord as a means to express his frustration and find a space and a position to be a full-time politician, to stay in government. Why am I saying this? There's no party of God. People say it. Look at Abner. There's no repentance. Do you see repentance? Do you see Abner seeking God? There's no sorry to the Lord. There's no relationship with the Lord. As verse 11 implies, he is about fear-mongering and power. And when David asked for his former wife back, Michal, Abner once again has no problem using a woman as a bartering tool to get in the good graces with David. Now, it's really David's wife. He was, it was take, she was taken away from him in a, in a bad way. What's going on? Got some bad news for this political season. Politics sells and barters people. <laughs> Looking for votes. 
looking to highlight things they've done. You ever see these commercials? They, sometimes they have the, 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 the one person, right? That, that whatever the candidate, whoever the candidate is, would never hang out with that person. The candidate and that person don't eat at the same restaurant. They wouldn't even invite them over to the house. And I really believe in them, right? No, they don't. Politics, sales and barters, people, the weak, the oppressed, the desperate to stay in power, like Ishbosheth, just use at a very high level. And I want you to see this because this is the very opposite of Hesed, of truth and loving kindness and the Lord's ethic. This is about positioning yourself for power and prominence and self-righteousness instead of human flourishing and justice. Both dudes, right? Joab and Abner and Abner, both campaign managers are working to control, hear me, what God is doing through violence and lying and revenge and personal control and fear. Look carefully at Abner's words here. And this phrase, and this is, oh, guys, the, 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 the wording in Samuel and even 1 Kings after this is so very important. It teaches us so much, right? So look carefully at the phrases that, 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 that Abner uses, right? In, in, in verse 9 and 12 and 21, look at verse 9 when he confronts Ishbosheth again. Look at what he says. God do so to Abner and more so if I do not... I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him. Y'all see that? And then look at what he says in verse 12. He says, And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, saying, To whom does the land belong? Make your covenant be with me. And listen. And behold, whose hand? God's hand? No. My hand shall be with you. And what am I going to do? I'm going to bring over all Israel to you. And then look at verse 21. Here we go again. You're starting to get it, right? And Abner said to David, what? I will arise. God's going to rise? No. I will arise and go and will gather all Israel to you, my Lord, the king, that they may make a covenant with you. Do you know how Abner gets people to do what he wants? We know that. Look what happened to Ishbosheth. Fear, control, power. Death, right? So he says, I will gather all Israel to my Lord the King that they may make a covenant with you and that they may re- and you may reign over them. And listen to this last part. All that your heart desires. All these words are significant. What stands out and what is missing? Do you see it? Abner as a Joab is promising to give the kingdom to David, to give the people to David, to fulfill David's personal desires. But how? Not by prayer, not by hesed, but through normal human politics with unnecessary violence and fear and opportunistic treaties, taking advantage of the weak and desperate and winning at all costs. That's politics more often than not. Taking and sometimes hijacking, and hear me, taking advantage of God's desire and design that the glory and dignity due people would come through earthly administrations by grace. So God has set up governments and administrations and, 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 and rulers and authorities in our lives to be a channel of his grace. And what happens is people come and think, I know how I can get over on this. I will take God's purpose and make it happen for God And what I'm really saying is making it happen for me. I'm going to use God's plan in having governments and being an authority, and I'm going to use it to exercise my power and brilliance. And this kind of person in politic and thinking is adversarial, right? It is in conflict with the kingdom of God at a human level. Listen. Is the Republican and Democratic Party in our two-party system able to be used in their platforms and what they say they back? Can they be used to channel God's tested for people, for the oppressed, for the desperate, for justice, for law and order, to those who are losing their lives? Yes is the answer. Sure. But both parties, all politics, because they're run and led by weak humans. 
who fall to passion and personal desire and using people in hunger for power and wanting to be in high places and be seen and be popular and rich and in control will do the opposite. Even with a platform of family and values and morals to win. To like he offers David to fulfill their personal desires. Not only politicians, but any form of authority. Will use and abuse and deface and ignore and switch on you and me to stay in control. And make promises like Abner does that he truly can't keep. <laughs> you can't promise me that you're going to give me the kingdom. Think how crazy this is. David, I'm going to give you all your heart desires. Nobody says that. Some of us said it when we were dating the woman we wanted to have, right? As a dude, I'm going to give you everything, baby. It's just not, it's just not wise because you can't. I'm going to get you that house and car. You No, you're not. I'm going to be everything to you. No, you're not. I'm going to be the one parent who, who is so good to their... No, you're not. Now imagine making it a public campaign. I am going... We, we're going to balance the economy and have so much money, more money than China and Russia put together, and I'm going to cut everybody's taxes. No, what? Really? And I'm going to get us out of debt. Really? And everybody's going to be happy all at the same time. Vote for me. Here's the problem. They will fake and then forsake the Hesed of God to gain the favor of God's people and make us turn on each other. And we be, we're so convinced that they're going to give us the desires of our heart. We actually, like David could have said, I'm putting the desires of my heart into your hands, Abner. And you know what would have happened? He would have been so disappointed, right? And then it would end up being more infighting. And sometimes we are too busy fighting to be about the ministry of God tested in the world. We're so wrapped up in this thing because I really think this candidate is going to be the one to bring the things that make a difference. That we stop being the difference God has called us to be. If Roe versus Wade doesn't get overturned, will we stop fighting for the life of the unborn? Now, there's some statistic out there. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I don't know if it's completely right, and it's probably all kind of ins and outs. But abortions were down under Obama's administration, a pro-choice pro president. Wow. Can God still fulfill his desires with someone who we don't think is fulfilling ours? Why do we put so much in the hands of that? Here's why it's hard. No human can hold their personal desires, our personal desires, and issues and brokenness, and all of that at bay, and perfectly uphold the call of God on leaders to show faithful, long-suffering, loving kindness to themselves and the world. It is near impossible. They all will at some point and place in conflict and challenge the God's kingdom regardless of what they say they stand for against messed up. Abner enjoys politics for viruses that found their way into the plans and purposes of God throughout through King David and so are ours, right? If I ran for office, y'all, I, I probably would lie. Real good. And lie meaning I have every intention to do everything I say, but I know better than to say I'm going to fulfill all the things I said I'm going to do, right? And what I really mean is I'm going to start, and in four years I need you to vote for me again because four years later I'm really going to do it, right? Come on. Abner enjoys politics, right? We're, we're, we're viruses in the plans and purposes of God through King David. But as Abner and Joab found out, politics will be a casualty, last point, of God's kingdom. 
The Bible tells us that after God, that after David makes this treaty with Abner, that Joab, whose brother Abner killed, right? Remember? Well, well, he isn't there during the treaty. And when he hears that Abner has left David in one piece and in peace, he thinks Abner has tricked David. And he stabs Abner in the alley. But not for David and the security of the kingdom, even though that's what he will tell the media when they ask him why he killed him. It was for national security. That's why I killed him, right? But the motive was really, the Bible tells us, revenge for his brother's death. Wow. Now, he knew he shouldn't have killed Abner if David let him go. But his personal passion, desire, that real, I'm calling it real, that real hurt and anger from losing his brother or just hating to lose and not get revenge, his personal broken sin and hurt was greater than his ability to show justice and mercy to Abner and be obedient to the ethic of his king. Both men, Abner and Joab, betrayed the king they vowed to stand for. Welcome to politics. It will reveal our human tendency to hypocrisy. Why? Because we're doing the work of a perfect God with a perfect plan and purpose for us. But coming through, like we said, like I was describing at last week's outdoor service, that comes through a crooked stick and God somehow paints the perfect line with it. But we must acknowledge it's a crooked stick. It will reveal our human tendency to moral failure. Oh, my gosh. You know the candidate that gets up and says, I am the holy, godly candidate. I'm for you, church. A couple years later, they're going to say or do something wrong. Some tape's going to come out. Somebody recorded them saying something crude. They don't go to church. They're going to get divorced. You know, you know it. It's, there's no way anyone can be enough or good enough enough to stand for integrity on our own platform. You hear me? Our own platform promises and moral passions. And that is why God's platform for caring for people and us caring for each other in places of authority is his, is his brand of hesed and mercy and kindness and gentleness, love and the good of others and peace between us. No, it may take struggle. I didn't say peace didn't take struggle, right? Jesus talked about, I didn't come bring peace, but a sword. So we understand that peace comes with some real struggle. But don't confuse that with the absence of God's power. Because God lets the sin of Joab take out Abner. Y'all see that? In such a way, the Bible says David didn't know that David's kingship and God's administration is saved from Abner's faulty and deadly, Abner and Joab's faulty and deadly politics. David comes out clean. Because <laughs> truth be told, if Abner was allowed to come in David's camp, It would have been a mess. So Abner's death actually saved David. And it saved his kingdom from Abner's motives while at the same time staying free from having a hand in his death. See how God works. In fact, God's kingdom through David is able to stay on track. Look at these closing verses. Chapter 3. So David, his Abner died. He's distressed by it. Wow. This guy shows mercy to his enemy? Everybody's, many people are doing a political thing about our president having COVID. Do you know how many people are rejoicing in their hearts, though? Some are hoping he never gets out the hospital. that he gets real sick, right? But David throws a sincere funeral for Abner. The guy who tried to keep the kingdom from him. The guy who 
led an army against his men, killed some of his young men, this guy. And look at verse 35. Then all the people came to persuade David because he went, fat. he went sad. He didn't eat. It's sort of like, a, imagine if, if Biden says, uh, and he did pull some negative ads against Trump from the TV because he's sick and he just thinks it's appropriate. But could you imagine if Biden completely went home and wouldn't campaign until President Trump could too, right? Th th this is what David sort of does, right? Then all the people came to persuade David to eat. He wasn't eating because of Abner's death while it was yet day. But David swore saying, God do so to me and more also if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. He did the same thing with Saul, his enemy. And all the people took notice of it. And look at this. And it pleased them. As everything the king did pleased all the people. So all the people of Israel, people, and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put to death Abner, the son of Ner. And the king said to his servants, do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? A prince. Dignity fall. Y'all see that? He was anything but a prince. But in God's eyes, he had dignity and worth, even though he was David's political enemy for so long. I'm preaching through it. I need to finish the passage. And a great man has fallen this day in Israel. And I was gentle today. Though anointed king, these men, the sons of Jeriah, are more severe than I. The Lord repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. You know, and, and I think it's real interesting that we see, because you, you think that w about weakness and, um, and, and those things. And so look, look at what David says here. He says here, going back to, um, oh boy, let's see if I can find it. He talks about the fact that the wicked are the ones. Okay, th this is the verse I'm looking for. Verse 29. May it fall upon the head of Job and upon all his father's house and may the house of Job never be without one who has a discharge or who is leprous or who holds a spindle or who falls by the sword or who lacks bread. David curses Joab's family for what he did. So you see a, a degree of justice here. I want you to balance that. Because what I'm going to say is this. Abner gets killed and Joab comes out guilty and will be dealt with. And people see that David, God's chosen administration, is truly for them. Unlike the warring political sides. I hope this election season shows us the end of our, especially God's people, trust in anything or anyone or any party holding them synonymous with being God's kingdom. And the kingdom of God will continue. And this, we see it happening, right? And the sovereignty of God will continue to destroy, expose, and bring to their knees any leader or any superstar or any party or any policy that exalts itself or is exalted by people as a party of God. You don't want to be the party of God. Stop. He doesn't like it. He'll take it down. Oh, I'm with God. Really? Okay. Good luck. It's one thing to say I'm a child of God, I'm a servant of God, but to actually say we are the party of God's morals. Really? All of them? Every single person? All the time? <laughs> Look, any party, any policy that is also of God, any other, uh, other as a platform, as a party of God or any other, if we turn and say that's the platform of evil or Satan or, as, or one as biblical and the other is unbiblical because of the passion between two or three biblically supported issues, 
Whether the unborn is the issue of prosperity of the land or social justice for widows and orphans and immigrants in our society, of which God orders in Scripture every single one of them to be taken care of, the kingdom of God will not be guilty of backing or participating in sin and arrogance of any human political leaning or party, even though he might use them every now and then to accomplish his holy above them and not in control or platform by them policy. He will do it for human redemption and policy because our Lord loves us. And this is what I see happening, especially according to what I saw in the last debate. In the last four years, and especially in the last year of politics in our country, there's Abner's and Joab's all over the place at the pool, and then later, right, like they were at the pool, and then later God is letting politics kill itself. Letting them destroy each other before us all. I hope you let it. Let it, let, I hope you see it. Let them show their behinds all out in front of the world. And it makes us long for more than what they have to offer. And if it doesn't, you are being taken and lied to. Drop your personal desires. Here's where you have to go to the Lord. I got some personal desires. I mean, I have these three issues that are really bugging me every night, Lord. You need to take your heart to the Lord and repent for not taking the full import of all of God's desires and let that bring you to your knees. Because if you know all that God cares for, it'll humble you to not be so righteous about what you think is right and wrong. And sure, we'll have to vote for one of these clowning sometimes and brilliant sometimes parties and their candidates. And we do so with a sense of respect and hope, as the Bible tells us. Only, why does the Bible tell us to respect and hope for those in leadership and pray for those? Only because they're in a position to be used by God as he exalts or humbles them for his purposes. And we pray not to win, not to be right, not to be rich, but for God's mercy and justice and grace and salvation to be seen and come through the broke down, raggedy political systems and parties and platforms in our country. And sometimes that happens because they do very great things. But sometimes it happens because they fail us. And now only God stands supreme. Here's my little political advice. Know what the Bible says here in verse? Let's see. I'm in the wrong chapter. In verse 39, David said, I was gentle though I was anointed king. Y'all see that? At first I thought it meant just humble. That's easy. I was hoping for that. Just merciful, right? But I looked at the word and it means everything but we, what we would think would be a good leader or candidate. David is saying, I didn't exercise my power or my personal morals and our personal passions and my personal desires into this. I didn't turn to power or control. I didn't assassinate or try to make people afraid. Because you know what the word gentle means? It means weak. <laughs> Faint-hearted. It means timid. It means tender. Do you know what it means to have a uh, be a man after God's own heart? It means to be weak before the God, for God and the calling he has on your life. To be afraid that if God doesn't do it, it won't get done. The kind of heart and character that God's kingdom can channel through is the weak the tender, though they're in charge, the king that acts like a servant. God's kingdom can channel through that, not because they're right on all the issues, but because their humility might be a passage just large enough 
for God's kingdom to do his work. Don't look for the strong dude, a woman. Don't look for the warring one. Even though David wins lots of battles. Look for the one who weeps when his enemies suffer. Look for the one who's not afraid to curse on one end, somebody who doesn't do right, and bring justice and law. Justice and law against his own campaign manager in a funeral for his adversary. And this is the way we should be treating and approaching one another in politics over our differences that we are weak. Too weak to be completely right. Too weak to be certain. Too weak to run and know the ramifications of our own politics. Too weak to trust in anyone except Jesus on November 3rd and then November 4th. And maybe two weeks after that with all the mail-in ballot stuff. Listen what the Apostle Paul, I'm going to close with this, says about Jesus and his ability to bring unity. God's king. How did he bring unity and leadership and power to me and you? How is he God's administration of justice? How has he become the government of God for our redemption? Listen to what he says. So if there is any encouragement, and this is encouragement to those of us who are in politics, who are principals, who are leaders, who are teachers, who are moms and dads and husbands and wives, he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And it says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves, even when you go pull the lever. Or vote. Think about others more significantly than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That means you can't go in the booth or vote on the card just because you want a better tax rate for yourself. Not just for your interests. I know it's difficult. Have this mind among yourselves. Here's where it comes. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He became the lowest form of human, right? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, now God has, exaltly, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, not because he was mean, not because he made promises he couldn't keep, not because he promised he'll give us everything we ever wanted. Because he was filled with, filled with mercy and grace and love to us sinners. And yes, he called us sinners. But at the same time, he went to the cross like David did. That like David suffered in a funeral. He suffered for us so that we could have dignity. That's why we bow a knee to him. That's why he's our king. Is there any comfort in this world of politics and voting and candidates and parties and platform? Take it in this. Jesus became weak so that God's kingdom can be strong in us and through us. Jesus died and suffered. And what I would describe as not so peaceful a transition of power out of our hands into the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Give us that mind. Please. And because we know we won't always do, have the mind of Christ in everything we do, we thank you for Christ himself who had that mind for us, 
who administrated God's goodness and hesed for us, even when we've forsaken it. Help us to know that. And if we're out here, Lord, and we don't know you, and all we do is put our hope in philosophies and theories and policies as the answer that, that somehow we can vote peace in and that we can vote uh, love in and that we can vote long-suffering and mercy and justice in, Lord, help us see our weakness. For those of you who don't know you, let them see how gentle you are how loving you are, how forgiving you are. Draw them to Christ. For us believers like David did, let us tear our clothing in repentance and sorrow and mourning for putting our desires ahead of trusting your sovereignty. Help us, Lord Jesus. Help us. In your name we pray. Amen.